Right, I've got itchy feet and a busy brain. Must be the time of the week where we escape Earth, explore the universe. It's a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name's Dan. Every week around here, we explore some of the most amazing, strange science secrets lurking through the galaxy. Thank you so much for listening. This week, we're chatting to Anishwa Kunchala, who is a nature genius, and he's the star of a brand new show with Steve Backshaw. It all started when I was just, I think, five years old in reception, when my teacher called Miss Parsons showed me a picture of a dead whale dying from plastic. I was really sorry for that whale, and I felt how it would have been like. So I felt like we should take action. And just like Steve Batchel, we made documentaries, lots of paintings. That's what came up when I seen that picture of a dead whale. Also, we'll head to Deep Space High to measure solar activity with cluster missions. There's one, two, three, four satellites. So they're all part of the cluster mission. That's right. And they're called cluster because they're working together in a cluster. You've got it. Finally. These satellites have been circling Earth for over a decade now. Each of them is about three metres wide and a metre high. The measurements they take from their individual positions mean scientists can build up three-dimensional maps. They've got names too. Rumba, Salsa, Samba and Tango. And I've got your questions to answer as always. This week, they're on ladybirds and fireworks. It's all on the way in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. NASA, the American Space Agency, is back in full contact with the Voyager probe that it couldn't find last week. Do you remember this? Last month, a wrong command was sent to the spacecraft. You know when you press a wrong button on the computer and it brings up a website you didn't mean to go on or the whole thing crashes? Well, here, it meant it lost contact with a 50-year-old space probe. And it changed its position because of this and cut contact. A signal was picked up a few days ago, and thanks to an interstellar shout, it's now back talking to Earth again. An interstellar shout is a very powerful instruction. It's boomed out across the galaxy, and thankfully, it's worked with Voyager 2, so it's talking again. Also, scientists think they found the heaviest animal ever. An ancient extinct whale would have been about 200 tons. Its bones were dug up in Peru, so it's been called Perucetus colossus. They think it's about 39 million years old. 18 bones were dug up and they are big. So they've used new computer programs to figure out that it was huge, much bigger than a blue whale, which is the biggest animal around at the moment. You can find a picture of Perucetus colossus online. What's amazing, it is huge around the middle, but it's got a very tiny little head. It's funny to look at, but you don't want to laugh right at it because, well, it's massive and probably quite mean. Finally this week, India's space agency has released the first images of the moon taken by the Chandrayaan-3 spacecraft. It entered the moon's orbit on Saturday. It wants to land down there in a couple of weeks. It's going to be a big deal. It's the first country to perform, hopefully, a soft landing near the South Pole. No other country has managed it. And it sent back pictures of the surface from a little way above as it gets ready to land. I really like that we're sharing out uh, kind of who can go to space all around the world. It means we get different ideas on what's happening there. Let's check in with Techno Mum now. Techno Mum is a genius. She knows everything about, well, technology, but gadgets. 
She is a guru with things like this. And recently, we've been checking out the exciting engineering behind gadgets with Techno Mum and Tim, who is her son. And this week, well, it's not just them in the family. Tim's granddad is popping up. He keeps hogging the remote. So Tim and Techno Mum want to figure out exactly how it works. Techno Mum, with the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Advancing and sharing technology. Granddad's been staying with us, and this is great in many respects. But most of all, he loves all the old comedy programmes. You can't pull the TV remote out of his hand normally. Starting shortly on Plus One, more tea vicar, with an unexpected delivery of haddock at the church. Ha! Huh. Uh, uh, hey, Tim. You've, you've got to join me for this one. It's a classic. Uh, hold up, where's the... Uh, you know, I need the... Um, uh... The toilet? Down the hall where it's always been, Granddad. No! No, the, the, hoof, the hoofer doofer, you, you know, the, um, the clicky thing, the, the zapper. Ah, the remote, here it is. You do realise, Grandad, that in the time it took us to look around for it, you could have just stood up and changed the channel on the telly. What would you know about that, Cheeky? It wasn't so long ago when you'd have to change the channels that way. When I was laid up with my bad back in 81, I had to use a snooker cue to press the buttons. i tell you something else, only four channels, and there were better programmes then than you get on these satellite things you've got these days. Well, apart from the old shows. Not more Team Vicar again, Dad. How does the remote work, Grandad? Oh, I haven't got a clue. Ask your mother. She's the expert, isn't she? Now, if you're going to natter, do us a favour and read in your bedroom. Come on, Tim. Remotes are pretty easy to understand. When you press buttons on the remote, it sends infrared pulses to the receiver in the telly. Infrared is a type of light wave, and the transmitter, the bit that sends it, is often a tiny bulb called a light-emitting diode, or LED, which is built into the pointing end of the remote control. Ah, right. That's the little light blinking on the end. Well, yes and no. The light you see is just to tell you it's working. You won't see the infrared because our eyes only see part of the spectrum of light waves, and infrared is too far up the spectrum. Sounds pretty clever for a bit of light. Not sure how light can make things change, though. It's because it travels in a pulse, you see. Like, I don't know, Morse code or banging on a drum. The infrared light pulse sends binary code that's a certain command, like change channel or power off. The receiver on the telly passes the code to a microprocessor, that's a tiny computer, which decodes it and carries out the command. Binary is like a really simple way of sending messages. All right, I've got that, I think. But I've seen Dad using his mobile phone as a remote. You know when we watch movies on the home theatre box? Does that use infrared too? No, but Dad's smartphone has got several things in common with the tele remote. There aren't any wires connecting his phone to the box, so they're both wireless. Dad's phone uses Wi-Fi to talk to the box. That's a type of radio wave. Wi-Fi is pretty cool. It's what helps our computers talk to each other and use the internet, even when the computers aren't attached with wires. Even microwaves and radios use radio waves, but we don't use those to communicate with. So is a radio wave in Dad's phone different to a light wave in a remote? It's on the same spectrum, but much higher up. Same principle, though. It was a bit weird to think that there must be all sorts of waves pinging about in our house all the time. Most of them we can't even see. Right, let's see if Grandad fancies a cuppa. You have to admit, Mum, Morty Vicar is pretty funny. When you've seen it as many times as I have, you can tell me if you still feel the same. Techno Mum, with the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Advancing and sharing technology. More with Techno Mum next week.
Hopefully old grumpy granddad won't be there. Right now, let's get to your questions then. Uh, every week, I love this part of the show where we just figure out the answers to your questions. Nothing else. That's the only job. If you have anything science that you want answered, make sure you drop it as a voice note to me on the free Fun Kids app. Download it to a phone or tablet. You can send me a little voice note. You can also do it by clicking the record button on our page at funkidslive.com. First up this week, it's from Imogen. Hi, my name's Imogen and I have a question. Do the birds have teeth? Imogen, thank you for this. I wonder what made you think, do ladybirds have teeth? Well, no, not really. They don't. (laughs) Short and simple. There's a bit more to it. They have a mandible, which is a movable lower jaw. It's good at gripping, tearing and biting things. But they're meant for soft insects and leaves. So they can rip through those quite easily, but they're not proper teeth teeth. So they're not strong enough to break through human skin. Thank you very much for that question, Isabel. Here's one that's come in. It's actually anonymous, but left as a review over on Apple Podcasts. So if this is you, thank you. Make sure you leave your name on it next time. They want to know, are fireworks bad for the environment? Well, fireworks are made of different chemicals. And they do look stunning when they go bang, right? Light up the sky, but they're not brilliant for the planet. All those chemicals that ignite, that make the colours, that make it do strange things, they have to go somewhere. A lot of it moves into gas, which ends up back in the ground. The barium or aluminium in there isn't good for animals and humans where it comes back down into the soil or lingers in the air. Also, many fireworks have perchlorates in them. Now, these are a special chemical which make the oxygen that the firework needs to explode. So when these hit the ground, the perchlorates can dissolve into water, which contaminates rivers and lakes. Also, just think fireworks release uh, quite a cloud of smoke which can harm the local air and make it difficult to breathe. Now, you can get new, cleaner fireworks with better alternatives in them that aren't as bad for the environment. And I really like that that's what's happening as we, as we you know, move through time, we discover what's good, what's bad for the world. We, we kind of figure out ways to do what we've always done, but make it cleaner, make it healthier, more eco-friendly. Thank you so much for the question there. If you have something you want answered next week on the podcast... I'd love you to star on the show. Best thing to do, leave it as a voice note for me on the free Fun Kids app, or you can record yourself at funkidslive.com. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. This week, we are chatting to a world record-breaking animal genius who is starring in his very own show with Steve Backshaw. Anish Kunchala is just eight years old and joins us now. Anish, how are you? I'm being quite fantastic. To just be interviewed right now. It's big news. I mean, it's a big deal for me too. I know that you've been busy today. You've been pond dipping and you found a strange red worm. Just tell us all about it. So it was really tiny and it was like moving all about. It looked very like a pinkish red that it curled up into a ball. It's fascinating if I could say so myself. I did get some other lava and that was all I got. Anish. You sound like you know exactly where to look. If I go out in a pond near where I live to try and find some creatures, I'm not sure where I'd start. Uh, How do you know so much about where these animals might live? So you first think about the animal and the tiny features. Example, you want to go pond dipping and find a, a crab or a fish. So think about where the size of the fish first, the scale. Would you like it to be a large fish or a really small fish? 
and then independent of the size, you can choose if it's in the middle of the lake or river for a large fish or at the corners where it's very shallow with lots of vegetation for the smaller fish. Wow, there's so much to learn. Anish, on this show, I chat to science experts all around the world, right? But you, you are only eight years old and you've already done so much. What made you first start to be interested in conservation and in helping animals? It all started when I was just, I think, five years old in reception when my teacher called Miss Parsons showed me a picture of a dead whale dying from plastic. I was really sorry for that whale and I felt how it would have been like. So I felt like we should take action. And just like Steve Batchel, we made documentaries, lots of paintings. And whatever I'm doing, that's what came up in my our minds when I seen that picture of a dead whale. You say our minds... Who's been helping you when you first started getting interested? Who was like, okay, Anish, here's what you need to do. Here's where you need to read. Here's where you need to look. Well, it was definitely my mum and my dad and just my friends for supporting me and definitely everybody else who has been inviting me to lots of documentaries, just like CBBs, because they help to spread the awareness. I know that you have won a Guinness World Record, right? For being a young wildlife presenter, for being a young scientific explorer, it sounds very fancy. Tell us about the world record. What did you need to do? Well, I didn't even know that I was breaking a record then. All I did was I was being the youngest male documentary presenter to ever present on COP27. What was that documentary, Anish? Tell us about it. Six Ways to Save Our Planet is about six children from all six different continents and they were discussing how we could protect our planet and make sure all of the biodiversity stays just as it is right now. Six whole ways to save the planet. Do you remember any of those? Yep. So first one is try to use reusable plastic instead of single waste. But what I would advise was not using plastic at all. Use biodegradable stuff, just like cardboard is eco-friendly because it's quicker to biodegrade. Metal is perfect because you can keep that for long, long, long periods of time and many other things. You're part of this new show for CBeebies with not just anyone, but an absolute legend, Steve Backshaw. It's Steve and Anishwa Go Wild. Um, Tell us about the show. Well... It is about me and Steve finding out how two very different animals have one thing in common. Oh, what type of animals are you looking at? Well, that's going to be a secret because (laughs) I don't want to spoil it until it comes out in Monday 14th of August. I know that you've been to a safari park, right? You've met animals all over the world there. What's it like seeing these creatures being cared for in a habitat that maybe we're not used to looking at them in? Well, it's quite surprising because this perspective I see some animals in is totally different. Example, a rhino. Some children might look at its horn as the main part of its body. But when I look at a rhino, 
I don't mainly look at the horn. I look at the bumpy and thick skin. It reminds me a lot like a tank. Oh, it does look like a tank, doesn't it? It's all thick. It's very armoured. It's very strong. You know that nothing's going to get through a niche, right? Yep. Now, Steve Backshaw, he's a hero. What was he like being around? I mean, he might even know more about creatures than you, Anish. Yes. So it was quite amazing to know that my hero was in a show with me. It's like impossible for me to imagine, but it still happened. And all what he was doing was like talking about different animals, telling me new facts. That's a big thing. And I loved him. He's just my star. Anish, do you have any pets at home? Yes, I do have tons. Okay, so I have two algae eaters and an entire an entire aquarium and the algae eater, which is the oldest in the entire town, is called Haida because he is very secretive and I have a little puppy called Rex. He's still just one and a half. I know that you, you said that your mum and dad, the grown-ups, have been very helpful in getting you thinking about animals. When you go out looking for creatures, like you did with the red worm earlier on, and maybe you want to bring some home with you, what are they like? Are they a bit like, oh, Anish, we haven't got room for more animals? Well, because I know that every animal has to be in its own environment so it can stay healthy and safe. I don't do anything like that. So when we have a pond, I just let the animals go there, not just get like one giant fish and then put it inside. That won't help the fish. So what I'm trying to do is just leaving it there and then all of the animals just get motivated and come inside. How is your puppy Rex? Is What's he like helping you find creatures? Well, he's super helpful. <laughs> yeah, he's actually sort of a hedgehog finder for me. So when there's a hedgehog outside, he would bark at it. And then that's our sign. Hedgehog, hedgehog, there's a hedgehog outside. And we look at it and he's like, Good boy, Rex. <laughs> Anish, if I could pick you up right now, whoop, and if I could plop you anywhere in the world to find any animal, where are you going to go? What creature do you want to see? Hmm, I think I would go to Mount Everest so I could see if I could find some peregrine falcons because you know they're very adaptable and they're found in every single continent except Antarctica. Well, wow. peregrine falcons are the, the, the fastest animal in the world, right? They zip through the skies. I wonder how high they could get up Mount Everest because the air gets a little bit weak up there. I don't know whether they could kind of find their thermals in each. What do you think? Yeah, I think they could just go like near the foot of Mount Everest. But as well, if I could go to the very, very hippy top of Mount Everest, this is what everybody would be obvious to see. It is the bar-headed goose because it is the highest altitude flying bird. Bar-headed goose. Anish, what's it like at school for you? Because you might know more than a lot of your teachers about these strange animals you're learning about in science class. What do all your friends think about you being a world record holder, being on telly? Well, it's really quite a pleasure to be on the world record. And they're all like, when I got the record... 
everybody was talking to me like how was it to get the world record and all like that it was like a bit overwhelming for me i can imagine and i can't wait to see this new show it's steve and anishwa go wild it's coming to cbb's this august anish thank you so much for joining us thanks so much for inviting me to Let's get to this week's Dangerous Dan there, where we look at some of the most mean, weird, strange and unique things all around the universe. And this week, it's all about a spider that's kind of just like Spider-Man. You know how he shoots webs? Well, most spiders don't properly do that, but this one does. Well, the spitting spider gets close enough. They're found all around the world. Normally a greenish body, black spots down its back. They've got eight legs, six eyes, and they catch prey in an incredible way. It spits webs at them. It spits a thick, phlegmy glob. And then when it hits its prey, that will congeal into a venomous, sticky mass. And they spit it in a zigzag way, kind of swishing from side to side, making a crisscross Z pattern. It happens in a tiny amount of time, and it makes it very tough for the prey to break free. And then that sticky, toxic loop pins the prey down. It can't move because the venom's all around it. It's stuck. It's paralysed, waiting for the spider to tuck into its dinner. So that is why the amazingly wondrous, kind of wicked, spitting spider goes straight onto our Dangerous Dan list. Before we finish up this week, let's take a quick trip all across the universe. We're headed to the smartest school in the solar system, Deep Space High. Uh, We've been looking at intergalactic weather recently with this series, and on Deep Space Eye this week, we're joining up with Sam, Stats and Quark, exploring some of the projects that scientists do to measure and investigate solar activity. One of them is the European Space Agency's cluster mission. Deep Space High, Intergalactic Weather Watch. Settle down, class. Today we're going to check out the European Space Agency's cluster mission. Now, does anyone know why it's called cluster? You're all half asleep this morning. Why don't you work together? See what you can come up with. All right, let's fly past and see if that helps. There's one, two, three, four satellites. So they're all part of the cluster mission. That's right. And they're called cluster because they're working together in a cluster. You've got it. Finally. These satellites have been circling Earth for over a decade now. Each of them is about three metres wide and a metre high. The measurements they take from their individual positions mean scientists can build up three-dimensional maps. They've got names too. Rumba, Salsa, Samba and Tango. Well, I always said two heads were better than one. And four heads are better than two. Yes, Quark. I've met your mum. The cluster mission helps Earth scientists understand more about solar weather activity and its effect on Earth. Let's check out some of their discoveries. Hey, look at the solar wind. It's like there's currents, like you get in the sea. That's right. The cluster mission has found that there's turbulence in solar wind. And that's one reason why it keeps its energy even after travelling millions of miles. And if we fly past the North Pole, we can check another of its discoveries. That's an aurora. 
Aurora are the legendary red and green curtains that illuminate the long winter nights here at the Arctic Circle. They're so beautiful. Much less familiar are the strange black aurora, a strange electrical phenomenon that produces dark, empty regions within the visible northern and southern lights. Black aurora? Sounds kind of spooky. They're certainly mysterious. Black aurora take on various guises, dark rings, curls or black blobs in the sea of faint, glowing aurora. So what causes them? Well, the cluster missions figured out that these peculiar patches are caused by a kind of anti-aurora, where conditions are the exact opposite of those in the normal aurora. They seem to occur where there are holes in the ionosphere. That's the upper atmosphere, where the particles that make up the ionosphere are shooting upwards into space. This is the opposite process to that which creates visible aurora, where electrons spiral down from space into the atmosphere. So it's not really an aurora at all? More of a missing part of an aurora? That's right. Since it launched, the cluster mission has made dozens of discoveries. And by working together, those four satellites are providing super detailed maps of what's going on. Hey, didn't I tell you that working together is a great way to solve problems? Class dismissed. Deep Space High Intergalactic Weather Watch. With support from the Science and Technology Facilities Council. Find out more at fungislive.com space. We've got more from Deep Space High next week, and I will see you then. If you've enjoyed the podcast, uh, make sure you listen again. You come back wherever you've got it today. You can find loads of brilliant podcasts on Google, Apple, Spotify, on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. You can get bonus episodes and listen to over 30 Fun Kids podcasts completely ad-free by subscribing to Fun Kids Podcast Plus. Check that out on Apple or on funkidslive.com. You've got a free trial there. And this week, I've got a special bonus episode full of just your questions. So keep your ear out for that one. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on your DAV digital radio and at funkidslive.com.